everybody went on spring break but you guys. And I know why you're here. You're the ones that need this most, okay? So turn to Revelation chapter 5, if you would, please. I think we need to quit announcing this, Brother Wade, that we just take spring break off the calendar. What do you think? Tonight we're going to look at the Lamb of God, and I just want to do a little bit of background for you, if I may. Pastor Stephen did such a great job last week in chapter 4 in really emphasizing the necessity and the need of worship. And uh, sometimes we, we come to church, but my question is, do we really worship? Do we really focus in? And the concept of worship is that my mind is set on the things above and not on the things of the earth. Paul says that in Colossians chapter 3. And I think that's what worship is really all about, that we're really set on Him and we're consumed with Him and our mind is set on Him and our heart's set on Him and our spirit's listening to Him. And then we're worshiping through song and through the hearing of the Word. So it's important we understand that. One thing I want you to understand, again, Pastor David brought this out when he first started Revelation. The Revelation is the revealing. It is the uncovering of things to us. It's things that are future it is way out there somewhere, or maybe tomorrow. We do not know when the Lord is going to come again. But the whole bottom, the whole emphasis on the, the book is the Lord Jesus Christ. You can go through and chase all the symbols you want to, which I'm not opposed to that. You can do that. You can look and you can seek and you study and try to find out. But the number one thing that you need to see and I need to see in the book of Revelation is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. That's what we need to see. So when we come to this passage tonight in Revelation chapter 5, that is the title of my message tonight, the Lamb of God, just the Lamb of God. So let's read the text and we'll just kind of walk through it and see what the Lord will teach us tonight. John writes and says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that we can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went. And took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, as we saw last week, fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God and every tribe, and language, and people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain 
to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Father, would you bless your word tonight? Would you open the eyes of our heart that we might see clearly? Father, would you be so gracious to give me utterance that your anointing would be both on the speaker and on the listener, that it would not just be a sermon, but it would be your word directed to our heart that when we leave this place, we might have a better understanding of the Lamb of God. Be one here tonight without the Lord Jesus. Might you speak to their heart and call them to yourself, and we'll give you praise in all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Be reminded again, the revelation is just that. It is the revealing. We have to understand and see that. We Just go back in time a little bit. When Paul was called up to third heaven, the one thing that he did not do was come back and boast about it and brag about it and tell all about it. And it was something God did in his life. It wasn't something Paul sought, but it was something that he did. He gave no sensational picture of heaven. He just states he was called up to the third heaven. Everything we need to know about heaven is in the Scriptures. Everything we want to know about heaven is in the Word of God. So important that we see that. The main point is heaven is biblical and it's reality, a living reality. And we embrace that by what? By faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I've not seen heaven. The most I've seen it is through the Word of God. And the most I've seen it is really, as I shared with you other, here a while back about the reading of John MacArthur's book on the glory of heaven, I really saw it in a different picture than I'd ever seen it before. And it's helped me a great deal. But the Bible, the bottom line, it's a living reality based on the Word of God. What we have before us is the revelation of Jesus Christ to John and to us. Heaven is real due to one primary answer. The Bible says that it is. That's all I need to know, that it's real. And the good news is, I'm going there. And I trust you are too. That's what awaits us. That's why this world and what it has cannot control us or bring us down because we have the most glorious future that mankind can think about and most of mankind knows nothing of it. <clears throat> so let's look at the text, verses 1 through 5. The question I want to bring to you first, who is worthy? That's what they ask. Who is worthy to open the scroll. Who is op to open the seals and break the seals of it? John sees the scroll sealed. God sits on his throne as we see in Scripture because of his omnipotence and because of his omnipresence and his omniscience. The universe is his throne. He's not sitting on a throne like a queen or a king that we might see, but he's just, he is the king of the universe. He is God Almighty. And so he's over all and in all as we look at this passage. The scroll is sealed with seven seals, which, character, which is characteristic of Roman wills. All of Roman wills were sealed with a seal that had, could only be broken at the time of the death of the person. So when we see this, what we're talking about, what is this scroll? Well, we really don't know perfectly what's in the scroll. We really don't know that either. But we know that it's significant and it's important, and, and I'm going to share some things that I, through study, have come to that I believe that it is. One, I believe it's a title deed to Jesus Christ to be the sole priority of the earth when he sets up his reign here. The next thing I believe about it is it's a prophetic revelation. 
of the future, what's in the scroll when it's open is a prophetic revelation of the future. And the other, it's a testament of all that Christ has done and what God has done and what he shall do. That's the best I can come up with. And I think it's fairly close based on what I've studied. He will, in other words, regain his rightful inheritance for judgment. Because see, this scroll is going to open when the seals are broken. As we're going to find out as we journey through this, what we're going to find out is those seals represent each one by one through the seven of them is the judgment of God upon the earth. And that's going to happen. It's a wonderful thing. And it is. And it's important to know that God loves you. That is special. That is something significant to think about the God of the universe who created all of this actually loves Hank. Right? It is. It's an amazing thing that he does. But think about this. What awaits the world as a whole is the coming judgment of God. And in that judgment, he will judge it in love, but the love will not be experienced. The wrath of God will be poured out. See, an imbalanced gospel is a gospel that preaches only the love of Christ and not the wrath of God. And it can't happen. It's got to be both because that's what's going to happen as we move forward in life. Who is worthy, cries the mighty angel. Well, who is this? Who is this mighty angel? Again, we really don't know. We can offer a presumption on who we think it might be. And a lot of scholars believe that it may have been Gabriel. And the reason for that is the name Gabriel literally means strength of the Lord. So this or strength of God. So this was a mighty angel that was there. But we do not know who it was, but he had a message to deliver. There's no assurance of who it was. In a loud voice, all of us preachers, we like that. It's a loud voice. It's the herald. It's to preach is what the word means, the word loud. It's to herald or to preach the word. And this, this angel is saying something. What he's saying, who is worthy? Who can open this seal, this book? Who can do that? Let's read this right here in verse 3. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth, under the earth, was able to open the scroll or look into it. It's almost like there's a pause here, a stop. Who can open? Who's going to rise up and come and open this scroll, open this book? Who's going to remove these seals? Who's going to do that? And no one moves. And what does John start to do? Look at it. He says, I begin to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. He begins to weep. The, word, the verb tense here of the verb of the word indicates continually. It was a loud outcrying of weeping of John because no one was found to open them. One of the elders steps up and says this. And by the way, just for the record, Steve and I talked about this last week after church a little bit. Who are these guys? We don't know who these 24 elders are, but one of them steps up. Who could they be? Well, one thing I want to settle on tonight is they are not angels, okay? Because angels don't sit and angels don't wear crowns. They kind of flutter and do their thing around, but they don't sit. So it's not angels. Now, who it is, we really don't know. A few people believe, and very knowledgeable scholars, that it could be in actuality the raptured church that is there already. Because see, all this is out, right? John is there. The rapture's not taking place. None of this is happening. It's a vision that he's seeing. You understand that? This is not happening in his presence. This is something that's going to happen. If you understand that, please say amen. You understand that. So this is where we are in the text. And an elder speaks because basically John's tears were unnecessary. He kind of 
jump the gun, so to speak, because Jesus Christ is about to show up in this place. And he says, weep no more. Look what the scripture says. I begin to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. You could almost say it, hey, John, stop it. Stop it right now. This is not necessary. And I'm going to tell you why. Look what happens. He says, behold, literally the word can translate see. See who? The lion of the tribe of Judah. See not only the lion, but see the root of David that is conquered so that he can open the scroll and the seven seals. Who is the lion? Well, the lion is always referred to as the king of beasts, right? I mean, fearless what he does. When we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, he is pictured as a lion, and that's what he will represent when he comes in judgment. In judgment, it's going to be in that fashion. None other than the glorified risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the lamb or the lion of Judah, according to Genesis 49, 8 through 10. From the tribe of Judah, the Messiah would come, not as a conqueror. That's what the Roman Empire was looking for, that's what, or the Jews were looking for, and he was not a conqueror, but he came as a kingdom servant to the world. He came as a lamb of God to be sacrificed for the world. And the, literally the conquering is not going to take place, but what he's going to set up is a spiritual kingdom, right? That's what he set up is a spiritual kingdom as we're learning. Who is worthy, cries the mighty angel. It is none other than the lion of Judah. It is none other than he. Now watch this. Look what happened. This is very interesting. He says, Based on the root of David, the root of David is conquered. And we see that in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1, where we're promised that a shoot's going to spring up from the root, and it's going to be Jesus Christ. Think about this with me when you see this. The root of David is conquered. How did he conquer? How did this Lamb of God, how did this Lion of Judah, how did he conquer? He went to the cross. He bore your sin and his body. Not only did he go to the cross, but he rose victorious over the grave, right? He grew victorious over the grave. And then, what was he? Transfigured to be back in his rightful place with God. Why did he get to go back to his rightful place? Because the work that he was sent to do had been done and accomplished in absolute perfection. In absolute perfection. So he's back where he belongs and, and where he started from. But yet, right here, it's all future. And the interesting thing is in verse uh, six, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. Now stop right there. What was he looking for? He was looking for the lion that the elder had spoke of, but he sees a lamb. And the word picture of this from the original language is it is a little lamb. It is just small, a very small lamb. Interesting thing is, in the month of when they did the, the sacrifice, when the, they gathered the lambs together and they offered the sacrifice, this was from the 10th of the month to the 14th of the month. And the lamb, this little lamb, literally lived in the Jewish people's homes for four days. Lived there as the Lamb of God, representing who Christ is, and he is the Lamb of God. And either better said, the sacrificial lamb of the living God. That's who he was. John's looking for what? A lion. He sees a lamb. Interesting, as we go into this, what we see. Look what he says. And I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. What does he mean by that? As it had been slain. 
He sees in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the scars of the suffering and the sacrifice is what he sees. The root of David literally means he is a descendant. He's a descendant, according to Isaiah 11.1. 1. He, Jesus, is worthy to do what? Open the scroll, breaking the seals, for back to the word we used a while ago, for he has done what? He has conquered. That's why he is able to open the scroll. He has conquered. So important that we get that in our mind. What does the word conquered mean? From the original language, it means to prevail. It means mightily or surpassing victory. No victory like the cross. No victory like the resurrection. It is all absolutely beyond the little finite minds that we have to comprehend that. Yet we receive it and we live it by faith, right? That's exactly what we do. He conquered. Second thing, the lamb is worthy. That's what we found out. Now, when we go a little deeper with this, the focus, again, by many are trying to figure out, figure out who are the elders, who are the beasts, when the focus and who, what's the content of the scroll when the overall picture is Jesus Christ. See, that's what makes our lives different when our focus is on Him. When we focus on the Lord and we live for Him and we're in the Word on a regular basis, then we're seeing life as God wants it to be for us. And what we're able to do when we're in the Word on a regular basis, we're able to see the world, life as we know it, from His perspective. You understand that? You see it from his perspective. Now listen to me carefully. When you see life from your perspective on a regular basis, you're going to be sorely disappointed. You're going to be disappointed because you're going to be frustrated because you see it from yourself. But what you need to do is see it from God's picture, from the throne room of heaven. What is God doing in my life? How do we see that? We see it through the word of God. We see it through the person of Jesus Christ as he lives in us and carries us along in life. The elders... Again, they're not the angels. Uh, again, I think it could be the picture of the raptured church, but who knows? We'll leave that to the Lord and what he will show us when we get to heaven. Amen? We won't know it until then. By the, the Lamb of God is the one who saves. He and he alone is worthy of our praise, of our service, and of our worship. Only he is worthy of that. None other. I was... Uh, Interestingly, comment was made to me this week or last week, one about we all serve the same God. What's your answer if someone says that? <laughs> no, no, we don't. No, we don't. We serve Yahweh. We serve Jehovah. We serve the Creator. We serve the living one, Christ Jesus, who died on the cross for us and rose again and lived victorious. We serve the Lamb of God. We serve Him for his glory, for his honor. This little lamb, the pet, can you imagine that? Think about that. You keep that in your home, then you sacrifice it. And every, every lamb that was sacrificed, every sacrifice that made, ox, whatever it was down through the years, pointed to what? Pointed to the ultimate sacrifice, which was who? The lamb of God. It pointed to that. Every sacrifice. Remember what the priest said in Malachi? What did they say? They said, we're tired of this. They disdained it. They sniffed at it. They didn't like it. They got tired of that bloody work they were doing every day. You know why? Because they failed to see that the work they were doing pointed future. 
It was the picture of Christ's death on the cross. Every sacrifice pointed to that ultimate death of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great picture for us. What more to, to drive us on to be what God wants us to be? What more is there is to know that the Lamb of God is capable of saving us, opening the scroll, bringing judgment on the earth, and to drive us along to serve Him for all of His glory and for all of His honor? What, what, what more is there? This is what it's about, amen? This is what church is about, serving Him, worshiping Him, the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the picture that we draw Okay, let's go back to the text and begin with me in verse, uh, verse 8. And when they taken the scroll, and the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp. Now, I think Pastor David said this here a while back or something about this is where we get the idea that we're going to sit on a cloud and pluck a harp when we get to heaven. Can I give you some really good news? It's not going to happen. You're not going to have a harp. It would be a miracle if I could play one. God could do that, understand that. But that's not the point. That's not the point. We're going to be about worshiping him and attending his throne and serving him. And doing, Heaven's going to be a busy place, guys. It's going to be a busy place. We're not just going to, what are, these, what are these elders doing? What are these beasts doing? They're worshiping him. They're praising him. That's what we're going to be doing through all out of eternity. It's not going to be a boring place. Have you ever wanted to say, that, say to you that they thought heaven might be boring? Why do they say that? Because they can't do in heaven what they do on earth, but maybe if they want to do what they're doing on earth in heaven, they're not going to go there anyway. Is that a possibility? Yes, it is. So when we look at this, we come as worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. That's a picture of his power, omnipotence of God. For you were slain. What's this statement now? This is a great statement. And by your blood, you ransomed people. What's this? For God. Now, I want to give you a little theological lesson here, okay? You were not saved. You listening? You were not saved to go to heaven. Don't you chew on that for a minute. But you weren't saved to go to heaven. Though you may be going, that is not the ultimate. The ultimate for you is that you would here in this earth bring glory to God in your life and your soul and your spirit and your body. You would live for him to the maximum in this earth is what he's saying. It's not about just going to heaven. I have a theory about that. It may be wrong, but I have a theory about it. It's just kind of a West Texas jargon is what it is. If I was just saved to go to heaven, why didn't God demonstrate real mercy to me and just drop me dead on that day and take me on to glory and let me bypass these about seven or eight surgeries I've had? Why didn't he just take me on to glory? See, he left us here. The Lamb of God left us here to be what? His ambassadors to the world, his representatives to the world. That's who we are. That's what we do. We're left here for his honor and for his glory. And he saved you. Look at it. You ransom, you were ransom people for God. Jesus Christ saved you by his blood if you're saved for God. He saved you for the Father. He saved you for the glory of God. You're, you're, what does it say in, in John chapter 1? That we are sons of what? He gave us the right to become the sons of God. That's who we are based on being ransomed by the Lord Jesus Christ. He bought you, purchased you by his blood for God. For God. Not for yourself. Not for go to heaven. 
but for the glory of God is why you were saved. Look at it. You ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's why it's so significant that the church maintains or gathers an idea in its mind that this is not about people who look like us. This is about reaching the world for Christ. It's about, that's why we're going to, to different nations and different places and planting church as, Cassid, as Champion Forest Baptist Church. We're doing that and we're making our way to do that because there's people out there in unknown people groups and they're not unknown, but they're just people groups who don't know the Lord and they don't have a language that we know or anything else. They need Christ. We got to stay the course, guys. That's, that's, that's what this is about, is about kingdom work. And it involves every, isn't that amazing? can you stop and think of all the nations of the world that somebody, some, many, maybe, out of every nation is going to be in heaven? That's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? And it's amazing that we have that privilege because it's every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. What does it mean that you're a priest? Does that mean that because you're a priest, you can do what you want to? No. Does it mean you're a priest so people come to you for direction? No. What it means is that as a priest, as a child of God, as a priest, you have access to the throne room of God. Now listen to me carefully. Where John was in his revelation, in that vision, you can enter in Anytime you choose, you can live in the holy of holies and you can live right in the very presence of the throne room of God based on your spiritual relationship, based on the fact that you've been ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ for the Father. So, it's a good reason for us not to walk around in the doldrums. Well, Maybe we are to walk around in the doldrums, Michael. <laughs> and you look at this passage, does it do anything in you? I started on this last Sunday, and I've been living with it ever since. And it's done marvelous things for me. I've seen something and see things. That, that portion there about that I was saved by the blood, by the Lamb, for God, is absolutely amazing statement. It, if that won't light your fire, your wood's wet, guys. You know what the church needs? It needs to get a new picture of who Jesus Christ is that we might walk and live in revival till he comes. That's what he wants. We have no reason to be whining and complaining. Amen. I said Sunday, uh, Sunday before last, when I, or yeah, last Sunday when I preached over at Jersey Village, when Paul was in prison, he says, pray. And he's praying in that verse in, in, in chapter six. And he says, he prayed that God would put literally, the Greek says, to put those words in my mouth, that he would put the words in my mouth and he would feed me the word to where I could preach. In the prison, Paul never prayed to be released. Paul never complained about the conditions. He said, hey, move me out of here and let me stay in the Ritz for a few days. He didn't do that. His focus was not on himself. It was on God and him proclaiming the word of God to those people that were coming to him while he was in prison. We need to get a different perspective about life. Trouble's coming. 
If you hadn't had any while, stick around. I'm sure it will. If you don't think so, go back this evening when you get home and read Job. He says, a man is born for trouble. But in the midst of that trouble, what, why, what, what are we doing? We're, we need to see it from God's hand, from God's hand. Let me share this with you. How many of you listened to or have heard Erwin Lutzer on the radio? He's a pastor of Moody Bible. Excellent, excellent. The other day I was listening to him driving down the road, and I just almost had to stop because of what he said. You know, do you ever, I'm going <laughs> to, let's just have some fun for a minute, okay? Do you ever whine? Guilty? Guilty. And Urban Lutzer takes this, he said, you complain, you whine, you, you, things come to you, and you don't understand it. You don't see it. He said, every time something comes your way, no matter what it is, here's five words that I want you to hear God speaking to you. He said this. You ready? No, this is from me. And if we'll see it that way, God will use that to do what? To conform us to his image according to Romans chapter 12, right? He will do that. So it's important that we see it. The horn, what do the horns represent here when we look at this passage? It represents the omnipotence of God, the power, the seven eyes, his omniscience, all-seeing, all-knowing. God doesn't miss anything. He sees everything. He even sees in my heart, and that makes me nervous. But he does. You ever wish that that wasn't true? But he does. He knows us. Scripture says that over and over again, that he knows us. He says, then he's a priest, we're priests in our own right. We can come to the Father. They shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, verse 11, and I heard around the throne the living creatures and elders and voices of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice. What is a myriad? It's about 10,000 is what it is. So we're talking about here uncountable a numerical number that we can't come to of angels who are worshiping him and praising him at this particular moment. And he says this in verse 12, like this again, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who, worthy is the lamb who was slain. To do what? What's the words? To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Have you ever stopped and wondered why he places all of those ands in there and he doesn't just put a comma? You know why? Emphasis. It's about emphasis. And when you look at the word power, it means almighty. It means omnipotent. When you look at the word wealth, it means the fullness of the Godhead. When you look at the word wisdom, it means infinite. God is infinite. That's my favorite attribute of God. You know why? God's not on a clock. <laughs> He's not Baptist. <laughs> Amen? God's not on a clock. He, he, he just wants us to worship him. Let time become a non-factor and we see what God may do. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. The word might, efficient strength. The word honor literally is it ties together glory and blessing, which goes with honor. It's exactly what it means. Verse 12, and I heard every creature in heaven. Think about this. This is an amazing statement. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne 
and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And you could say ever for 10 million zillion times and you would never cover the ever of who he is. Amazing principle. Not only that, you go back to it, every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth. What does that mean? Under the earth. That's hell, beloved. And that's a picture of Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, when he says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That will happen. Amen. That's why we need to be proactive in evangelism. Proactive. Two people I want you to pray for. Jay at the Black Walnut. He's the manager. I want you to pray for Jay. That I will have that time to sit down with him. I've developed a good relationship with him. I want that time to share the gospel with him. Then there's Melissa. You'll enjoy this. It's at RJ Goodies. <laughs> Melissa is searching, looking. I believe she may be a believer, but she's out of fellowship. And she is so open. It's amazing. Charles Austin and I were in there today visiting in fellowship. We had a great chance to visit with Melissa. So you pray for her. See, I don't want, see, Jesus said that I don't want anybody to go to hell. He's not slack about his promise that when no one would perish without Christ. Listen, when we see Christ in his glory, when we see Christ in all of his splendor, we will want to go share Christ with someone. We will want to see someone come to know Jesus Christ. Do you know someone lost? Are you looking for a chance to share with them? Confession is good for the soul, Pastor Stephen, not also necessarily good for the character. It's been a while since I've led anyone to the Lord. Not that I haven't tried, not that I haven't pursued, not that I haven't witnessed. I just hadn't had anybody that was ripe for the picking. And I'm waiting. Because see, once you do it, guess what? You want to do it again and again. I'm going to tell you about, as I close tonight, I'm going to tell you about a guy that I saw come to know the Lord. His name was Jimmy McClendon. He was in Kenosha, Wisconsin. We were up there on a mission trip. He was running one of these scrammer things. You know, you get in and it goes like that. I don't ride those things. makes me very ill to do that. Even watching them makes me ill. And the Lord said, go speak to him. Not audibly, just by the Spirit. I said, he's busy, he's working. Go speak to him. He's busy, he's working. I said, okay, Lord, if a guy's not working, if he's just stopped, I'll go talk to him. When I turned and looked back over there, when I was in the line with some of my kids to get on a different ride, I looked over there and Jimmy was standing there with his hands in his pockets, walking back and forth with nobody on that ride. So I decided I better do what I said I would do. So I walked over there and I had a track in my pocket, reached in my pocket and I said, hey, my name's Ed, what's yours? He said, my name's Jimmy. I said, how long have you been working here? You ready for this? First day, first day. I took that little track and walked him through it, came to the end of it and I said, Jimmy, would there be any reason today based on what I've read to you and shared with you that you couldn't trust Jesus Christ as your savior? Are you a sinner? Do you need a savior? He said, absolutely and I need a savior and yes, I would. And I'm just breathless you know but it happened and from that day on I was looking because you see we have to come back and understand based on this wonderful glorious picture that we see he's about to open a book of judgment 
and people that don't know our Lord are not going to heaven. There should be weeping because of that in the church. The four creatures, what were they saying? Amen. They just, it, it word means just to keep on saying, so be it. May it be so. The elders fell down in worship saying, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb. Soon, very soon, this glorious and powerful host will split the eastern sky with the Lord Jesus and come to execute judgment on this earth. And then we will return with him to heaven and we'll come back with him to set up millennial kingdom. What needs to transpire? What is there one thing that's basically left to happen in the entire universe? It's the words are from a song. And it's this, when God says, turns to the sun and says, arise, my son, this is the day. That's all that awaits is Christ coming again. And I believe, I believe just like my pastor, I believe he could come today. I don't think there's one thing to prevent him from coming before I get to my truck. But while we're here, let's worship him. Let's praise him. Let's give him glory with our lives and not just be comfortable because we have a resting place in glory and heaven with the lamb of the living God, but that we need others to go with us. ask you a hard question. When you get to heaven, who's going to come and stand by you? Oh, Jimmy's coming. Jack Galbraith's coming. My son's coming. That's one of the greatest times of my life to even lead my son to the Lord. Six years old, just under conviction like crazy. And he's lived it. You know why I know he's saved? Because he lives it and has lived it every day. Listen, worthy is the lamb who was slain, gave his blood to purchase your soul for our creator. Challenge, it's not just for you. It's for the preacher to be actively engaged with people that we might see someone come to know Christ. And then we could spend time with them, mentoring, loving on them, and teaching them the things of God. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that the truth of God's Word is both encouraging and uplifting to you. If you'd like more information about our church, service times, or locations, or if you have a question about what you heard today and you want to connect with someone, I want to encourage you to visit us on our website at championforest.org. Have a great day and God bless.